Our text is Mark chapter 4, verse 7, uh, yeah, verse 7 and 8, as well as verse 18 and 19. We'll follow with that. Uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, I want to preach a sermon titled, uh, The Best Handmade Christmas Gift Ever. Okay. You want to find out what that is? Come next Sunday morning. All right. And then also, uh, you know, it is this time of Christmas. And what happens? Well, you're following Thanksgiving. Just about the time all that food has been digested, now we start loading up all month long in December. And I read a thing the other day that um, there... It is estimated that there are over 5 million overweight people in America. But then again, that's just a round figure. <laughs> so, we won't go any further on that, all right? You know, it would be good in late December to preach a sermon on gluttony, wouldn't it? <laughs> Okay. All right. Reading now in Mark chapter 4, verses uh, 7 and 8, to begin with. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased. And brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. Now, just concentrating on verses 18 and 19, Jesus, understand now, he's explaining what all these things meant in this uh, parable that he's given to them. So now he's given them what it means. In verse 18, he says, And these are they which are sown among thorns such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray now as we go into your word today and we Listen to this teaching of Jesus Christ. Lord, without thy Holy Spirit to give understanding, it's a waste of time. So, Lord, I pray thy Holy Spirit would move uh, in me as well as in each person, giving us each understanding, rightly dividing your word, and lead us in the way everlasting, in the way of righteousness and true holiness. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We've been considering this parable, of course, again now for about three or four weeks. And we were told at the beginning when Jesus begins to interpret what his parable was about, is that the seed that he's sowing is the Word of God. You know, that's something to think about at Christmas time, isn't it? Because in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. So, 
as we celebrate the birth of Christ, the word is very appropriate for Christmas. Both the person and the written word, because there is absolutely no contradiction between Jesus Christ and His preserved Word of God. And so we have it. So we've been considering that, and as a Christian, we ought to keep in mind an Old Testament passage. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 7 and 8, where it says in verse 7, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Then verse 8 says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. <clears throat> and that's true whether you're talking about the written word or the living word, Jesus Christ. Understand with that written word, even the Psalms in chapter 119, verse 89 says, Thy word is preserved forever in heaven. It's already there. But then he said to the psalmist too, in Psalms chapter 12, he said, uh, from this generation forever his word is preserved. The generations on earth. So any way you look at it, we've got a preserved word of God that every word was breathed out by our Lord and God, by His Spirit. To holy men, He breathed it out to holy men to write it because He didn't trust any other man regardless of their education. It had to be people that He could trust, and He did. So we see that the soil and all four grounds in this parable, different, four different grounds are listed, and in all four grounds, of this, uh, the seed is the Word of God, yes, but also the soil is the heart. The heart. The problem is not with the sower or the seed. It is before God the right thing to be sowing. And it's been sown in the proper place. The soil. You see, the soil could be good soil if the Spirit of God is allowed to do His work in that soil. And by our free will, we let Him do it or we don't let Him do it. We resist or we go with what He would have us to do. And so, the soil is of the heart. And as you've heard me say before, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. It's so often that way. The thorny ground, when we saw earlier in this parable, uh, there were two before it, but the thorny ground seems uh, to be the heart of a man who has been saved. He has been saved. Now, I know that uh, there are people that would argue with me on that, but I believe that this guy has been saved. The other two, the first two, remember the wayside and then on the rocks, the stones? I believe that those two were unsaved. I don't think it was a real salvation thing. It wasn't a commitment to Christ. It was, oh boy. And that was about the extent of it there on the stones. And the uh, thing by the wayside, as soon as uh, they could, understood it, they said, oh, wait a minute. No, uh, 
I want to live this life. I want this world. I don't want to give my life to Christ. And so the, it was sown in there, but the devil was allowed to steal it away from them because they allowed it. It's not that the Lord allowed it. He gave us a free will so that we could allow it or reject it or either way. It's on us. And so that's what happened on those first two soils. With this one, it did take root. And so those others didn't really get saved because their heart for God was really more for themselves. But this third soil, there are things in the soil that can spell defeat in bringing forth fruit for the, uh, for the believer. It spells defeat for the believer. I find it interesting that Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is also talking about seed that is sown. And there, they say, an enemy came in during the night and sowed tares among the wheat. And basically what the Lord is doing is he's telling us about the local church. You see, the local church was the Lord Jesus' uh, plan from the beginning. The local church is as important to God as was Israel and is Israel. They both were designed by God. The local church the pillar and ground for truth. That's what we're to be. But you see, sometimes Satan is, as the enemy, tries to get into a local church and sow those tares. It can be contemporary. It can be uh, <clears throat> the doctrines of, the false doctrines of, of Calvinism or some other thing. But get in there and sow those seeds that take us away from the Word of God that take us away from the holiness and true, true holiness and righteousness. Those seeds that, that uh, are there that are good in and of themselves, but those tares there seeking to tear away. The Lord Jesus was foretelling then, even after he had told about the church, what was coming here before he told about the church in Matthew 16, but he was letting us know what was coming. The last soil that I just read the one verse there about it, it doesn't have the stones. It doesn't have the thorns. It isn't wayside soil. Why? Because after the cleansing, after the preparing of the soil and the receiving the seed, they kept the soil. They watched the soil. See, every believer has a responsibility to be in the Word of God. Every believer has a responsibility to uh, walk with God. Every believer has a responsibility to share this Word with others. We have a responsibility to obey this Word. That's what keeps the soil of the heart pure and right for that seed to grow and bear fruit. And, and so that's why it is so important that we do that. 
You say, well, what, what do you mean about bearing fruit? Well, you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul talking about those souls that he had led to the Lord. Would bring a crown of rejoicing in that day. That's the fruit. We find out that when the church at Philippi, those people could see Paul in his missionary journeys and, and they sent to the need that he had, they financially gave it. You might say, that church in Philippi wasn't a rich church. They sacrificed to do it. If you want an example of faith promise giving, there's right there in the Bible. They gave. And the Holy Spirit impresses on Paul to write these words back to them because it's straight from God. It's fruit that abounds to your account. As you give to missions and you, you pray about it and you want God to bless missionaries and you, you know of missionaries that are out there in the field are missionaries. That's why we have a mission prayer band. That's why we have a list of all of our missionaries that we support. The reason we have that is so that you can pray for them individually. Every soul that is brought to a, the Savior through that ministry is fruit to your account if you are faith promise giving. Think of that. Things that we do in obedience to the Word of God is fruit. It's a testimony. Uh, Paul had his boys when they were little plant a pear tree in my front yard. Boy, was I excited about that. I love pears. So I couldn't wait till pears started appearing. They said, well, no, that's not that kind of tree. Oh, I thought it's a pear tree. A pear tree is supposed to bring forth pears. No. It's, it's a tree. It's a tree. They call it a pear tree. I have no idea why they call it a pear tree. If it doesn't bring forth pears, it's not a pear tree. You know, we call ourselves Christians, which means Christ-like, and we won't go to God's house, but every great once in a while. I don't want to be there Sunday night. I don't want to be there Wednesday night. I don't want to get involved in the ministry. I don't want to get in the, How can we call ourselves Christ-like? Think about it. Think about it. How can we do that? See, I, what I'm saying is I'm not rebuking you right now. I'm just saying you want fruit that abounds to your account in eternity. You've got to keep the soil clean. You've got to do what the Lord tells you to do. Don't do what the Lord tells you not to do. Okay? It's, it's that simple. And so you have fruit that abounds to your account. And so it might do you well to sometime uh, get uh, one of these, uh, you know, the, these things like a Bible app if you have the phone or if you just have the uh, books, you know, whatever. Look up the word fruit. Look up the word fruit as it appears in the New Testament. And see its different applications. And see what application is to Christians in their service, in their work that involves around good fruit. It may be a way of saying, what is my walk with the Lord actually like? It may be a way for you to measure that walk with God. And so we see that God wants us to bear fruit. One of the things about the parable of the sowing of the seed, He wants us to see that you and I are to be sowing the Word of God. 
the gospel. Righteousness, holiness. You see, we just don't sow it to the lost, we sow it to one another. Because we're to edify one another. There's also a crown for that, for edifying fellow believers. So, you know, it's there. There are people that get the newspaper out, look at the stock market each day. They've got things connected with computers now and all that. Invest in this, don't do that. Yep, sell that one off. Let's do this. Why? Because that's important to them. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm just saying that's important to them. They make money off that. They do. I'm not saying it's evil. What I'm saying is, is this. It becomes a problem when that's more important to us than the Word of God in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, that's when it's a real problem. So now, we titled this sermon, The CDL Spells Defeat for a Christian. You say, what do you mean? I, I can remember. I was here when we first had CDL driver license come out that you have to have in order to drive a church bus. Now, just kind of a history. I, back in the late 60s, early 70s, I worked on the bus routes. 1974, we were in the national bus news because we averaged 405 per Sunday for an entire year. I mean, that was great. We had all kinds of drivers. I don't... I, I had a chauffeur's license, if you know what that was back in that day. But after that, uh, nothing above that. Most guys just had a regular driver's license. We just, they just knew how to drive a bus. When I moved back here in 1984, instead of having about uh, 300 to 400 kids on the bus each Sunday, uh, it was around 250 on an average Sunday or a little bit lower than that. And when they came out with the CDL, well, over half of my drivers, over half of my drivers just quit it right there. They didn't want to go through that. And so as a result of that, man, that just killed the bus ministry quite a bit. I mean, it's not near what it used to be. I mean, we used to have a children's church, primary church, preschool church, okay? That's what we had at one time. But the devil knew the right thing. I'm not against a CDL license. I think it's a good thing to make sure people qualify to drive a bus. What I'm saying is, there are a multitude of souls of boys and girls who still aren't in church. That the only time they're going to get to hear the gospel is through a church that loves children. And so, it calls for workers. And maybe God's calling you. And maybe God wants you to be that person. And so, this talks about having your heart right with God. You know, I said to you just a, I think it was last week. But I was saying to you in that message, is that you want the voice of the Lord in your heart to become just as familiar as the voice of your spouse in your ear. You say, well, how can that be? Well, you know, everything Jesus said, I believe. I really do. And I was reminded of that today when in our Sunday school class, Brother Woodard was talking from about John chapter 10. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Think of a planet populated 
with over billions. And he knows each of us individually. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He cares. When you read there that he knows the number of hairs on your head, we've made jokes about that, but guess what? That's every person in the world. The omniscient God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he loves us. He really loves us. But really, the CDL in this is not about driving a bus. The CDL starts with what he said here. Because we have to keep it in mind that uh, as we're looking at this thing, these are things that choke the word. Remember, it's thorns. Thorns, the soil, the heart has thorns in it. Maybe they're not seen at first. They get sown into the heart. As people, Jude 4 says, they come in unawares. The idea is they come in the back door to sneak in, pretending to be one of you. Oh boy, I'm a good fundamental independent Baptist. I'm a King James Version believer. I this and that. You know, whosoever will may be saved. We need to be separate from the world. And then they get in here, and then they start trying to sow some of those things of doubt. I I, I always enjoy it because I'll have, anytime I get a new principal, a new Youth director, new whatever, it just seems like the kind of man. You know, I've got this person coming in saying, we need to change this, we need to change that. I say, yeah, yeah, they'll come to you that way. They'll come to you that way. But what we're doing is based on the Word of God, so we're not going to change. We don't think we can improve on God. We really don't, and we can't. So we're going to stick with it as it is. And so when they report that back, and those people try to tell us, twist the Word to make it say something else than what it's actually saying. You see, so, so you just stick with the Word of God and you don't compromise it for anybody. And so, we see that the first thing that can cause that defeat for the Christian, the C, is the cares of this world. The cares of this world. Now, keep it in mind that the world is thought of in at least three different ways, maybe more than that. But first of all, it's thought of as this little ball that we live on, the earth. Other times in the Bible, it is the world system. By that, I mean the world's philosophies, the world's advice, the world's instruction. The world's science. Now, I know what the world says, and so there's a conflict. I've got to believe God above the world in science. God said He created them male and female. The world says, no, we've got about 30 or 40, 50 different genders. You know what? I like God's science better. Okay? God's science is right. But nonetheless, that's the way it is today. That's the world. Sometimes the world refers to the people that, plan, uh, that populate this planet. We have examples, though, of what the world does. For an example, they try to make it sound noble. Yeah, you know, it would be good if we had that baby aborted because a very poor lady, not married, doesn't have any source of income, and, you know, that, that child is going to have a terrible, miserable life. We should save that child from that. 
I remember when this was the big deal, most of you do. Roe versus Wade, you remember that? They were in the courts and all that, trying to legalize abortion. And they would always say, what if it was rape or incest? And I find it interesting is that all of those that say uh, everybody else that doesn't believe like them is a racist, they were saying, what if a black person rapes your child? As if that makes a difference. As if that makes a difference. But you see, hypocrites will do whatever they have to do. But, some say, well, you don't want that baby, it has a handicap. We need to not have to have that baby live a life as a handicapped person, physically and mentally. Although there have been the babies that born, they said were that way, and ended up not being that way. Can you imagine the virgin birth? Mary's poor. She doesn't have two nickels to, or two shekels, I guess I should say for that day, to rub against each other. Everything about it, today's society, today's science would say, she needs to abort that baby. They would have been aborting the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think of that. There are other factors they try to bring up as a good reason, a moral reason they call it, a logical reason. But folks, it is still murder. It is murder, and that is charged to the count of the person who commits the murder on the mother, as well as the mother giving permission to have her baby murdered. Yet, do you realize that God can forgive those murderers and cleanse them and forgive them wholly and completely? And what God has cleansed, don't call it common or unclean, the Bible tells us. No matter how far someone has dipped into sin. But we also not only see it in that, we see it in the world's entertainment. More and more the world's entertainment and it's now is making fun of you. And your belief in the word of God. The world's way is also immodesty. In our dress. The music. with this rock beat that controls even the very inward part of a person that takes over that person. The moral standard, just as we said, gender, drugs, alcohol. But you know what I think the greatest shame is? The no things I just named? Men of God, who are supposed to be men of God, who preach behind pulpits each Sunday, and due to people that may offend or maybe for whatever reason, they won't name and call it sin. Oh, God help those guys to get right with God. All the souls being led, perhaps even to hell, through that kind of preaching. So, yeah. There's the ball, this, the world's philosophy, the world's ways, and, and we even think of the cares of it. 
the cares of this world, housing, education. You know, I, I find it funny when we started a Christian school, well, that education is going to be so less than, than what the public education is. Now they want to send them to Christian school because it's so much more in public education. We're going to send them to public universities because the Christian colleges just can't give what they do. And now we find that Christian colleges are the choice. And too many of them as Christians that seen the lives of their children messed up that went to those secular colleges and found out that they could not compete. Their child, as well as you've trained them, their mind was not trained, has no ability to compete with a PhD that's telling them the opposite with all the pressure of peer pressure going after your child. And so they want to add those things. And then we've got the cares of this world as far as pandemics are concerned. It's a good way to close church, to close down Christian ministry. Create a pandemic. Some Christians must have the things that this world has that necessarily aren't evil in and of themselves, but more to have them because it seems to have a way of exalting themselves. They don't bring glory to God. They bring glory to oneself or self-fulfillment, a self-exaltation that doesn't really exalt God, but you'll feel good about yourself. I've got more money now and I'm going to give a gift to the church or I'm going to give a gift to this, a gift to that. And you do, and that's a nice thing, but to be quite honest with you, a lot of times it's for the tax exemption too. And I think it's wise to take, claim your tax exemption, especially now that they want to use your taxes to fund abortion. Funny, they want abortion funded, but if a church, a pastor, or any in many places in this country, if they're going to try to counsel somebody about homosexuality and take them out of that lifestyle, and they want to come out of that lifestyle, they're against it, they'll just about arrest them for doing it. In some places they will. But we think, it's, so many think that that's a good thing, and it's evil, evil, evil. And by the way, the cares of this world worry, worry, worry about paying your bills, paying this, doing that. Worry, worry, worry is never acceptable unto God because it shows we simply aren't trusting Him. But having said that, let me just kind of draw this to a close because with uh, Brother Randy not here, I'll finish this up tonight. You know, it takes trust to believe that God says what He means and means what He says. It takes trust to trust God completely. You know, there's some people that have been in some awful sins. I could actually go through here, and I wouldn't do this. To be honest, I wouldn't do this at all. And we could ask, what is the worst thing that you'd say is sin that you've ever done in your life? There'd be sexual sins. There would be drugs. There would be maybe 
thievery. There might have been stealing. There might have been, uh, oh, so many other things that we could talk about. And we'd say, how could God save a person like that? Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's why. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. His power, His blood is greater than all my sin. And so you trust Him and you give Him your heart. He says, Him to come to me, I'll in no wise cast out. Whosoever will. Revelation chapter 20. You know, it's interesting. The last chapter of the Bible. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. No one's exempt from getting saved. You can be saved. But understand, it's repentance and faith. Lord, I want cleansed of my sin. Lord, I don't want to live any longer therein. I want cleansed. I want saved from it. And I want everlasting life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'm trusting you. You said you shed your blood on the cross for my sin. I believe you. Therefore, I'm turning my heart and life over to you. Save me. Make me what you want me to be. Cleanse me. I am thine, O Lord. You give your heart. And just like marriage, it's a life, but this way, an eternal life commitment. And you'll have life, and you'll have it more abundantly. And if you'll walk close to Him and keep that soil of your heart clean, you'll get to the point as you're reading the Bible, praying, you'll hear His voice in your heart speaking to you. It won't be an audible voice. It'll be His voice in your heart. And He will if you'll give it all to Him. Oh, if you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, don't put it off any longer. I want you to come and receive Him as Savior. If as a Christian, God spoke to your heart. You know, one of the things I want you to understand, can you honestly say, as a Christian, as a saved person, can you honestly say that when God speaks to your heart, you automatically know that that's His voice? You know the voice of the Lord in your heart. Satan will try to put his voice in there to sound like God, and it won't be. The voice of the Lord in your heart. Do you know it? Then, if not, perhaps you need to draw closer in your walk with Jesus. Let's bow our heads, please.